Turn, if you would, uh, we're going to go, to the, go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. I promise uh, I'll try not to make you weep. Um, and I know that uh, if we get too late, maybe that's when you would be weeping because you're like, oh, man, I'm so hungry. But anyway. But um, the next three weeks, we, we've been going through, we just finished up a, a, um, a series of a little bit of Christology. It was a seven signs of Christ in the book of John. And so we're going to have this interlude here of three weeks, and we're going to do kind of back to basics. And so back to basics, uh, this week we're going to look at um, the messages, hearing the reading of God's word. And then uh, next week we're going to talk about meditation, not meditation transcendental to take you somewhere else, but to meditate and think about God's word or think about the scripture, thinking about uh, God. And then the last one will be writing or the study, a little bit of writing and studying. So kind of back to basics. Um, and I preached a message similar to this about three years ago. And I like to just emphasize the importance of reading God's word. And here it's hearing the reading of God's word. Because sometimes we read it in our mind, but I think it's also good to practice reading it out loud or listening to it. Now, I don't recommend you... You listen to it right before bed because sometimes you'll be like, oh, that'll put me right to sleep. You know, you can wait and listen to her, my audio message and that'll help put you to sleep, you know. But, but when it comes to reading God's word, I think that you should, should be able to listen to it and follow through. And they have different versions. They have an audio version where they put sound and music. If you're one of those who aren't very auditory, um, sometimes I can, you know, listen to things and block it right out. If I'm doing something, you know, that's okay if I see it. But sometimes if I listen to it, I can tune it right out. You can ask my wife. Sometimes she'll be asking me or telling me something. I'll be, uh, whatever, and I, I'm not listening. It's a, it's a male characteristic that's a gift, I think, but also a curse for women. But to understand is that sometimes we are auditory. So they do things that put in, like, sounds. You know, they, they go through and reading of the text, and then they put in, like, horses clomping or sound of winds. And that kind of helps keep us engaged. But um, it's important to read God's word. And some studies that I had looked up before, reading the Bible is the number one predictor of spiritual growth. Only about 19% of Protestant churches, those who go to those churches, read their Bible every day. Almost 9 out of 10 households, about 87%, actually own a Bible. And about one-third of adults say they never read, listen to, or pray with the Bible. Out of five options for motivating them to read the Bible, two-thirds believed it, was brought, it had brought them closer to God. Most adults believe they do not have enough time to read the Bible. Almost half of Bible users search online via electronic device, smart tablet, um, iPad, Bible app. And that's probably higher now. now this was just done a few years ago. And almost 45% of those surveyed believe the Bible contains everything a person needs to live a meaningful life. And then the more often Americans attend church, the more likely they are to read the Bible daily. So that's why I say read the Bible in any form. You know, a physical Bible, a digital Bible, a laptop, iPad, scroll. Listen to it if you're auditory. I mean, take a scroll around, you know, you're just old-fashioned, it'll be different, you know, whatever. But just to read it, whatever form you have. And uh, it's important that you, you take it and engage with the text because every believer ought to hear the version of the New Testament. If you think about how many of you ever heard of James Earl Jones? Some of the older ones. James Earl Jones was the old Darth Vader. Luke, I am your father. 
and he reads the New Testament. So if you understand his voice, you know, imagine listening to him reading the New Testament. But also there's, uh, like I said, there's others that put it to more of a, to a, a dramatic theater um, and just the sound, but they read the text. So I encourage you to use that. But as we arrive to Jeremiah, to transition to Jeremiah, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 36, there is an emphasis. You could go through and underline or circle the, the number of times it says hear and reading and hearing and heard and heard and hearing all throughout. And you can see that in the text here. And so as we look at Jeremiah 36, I think it's an important part of understanding the impact that God's word has, especially on hearing the reading of God's word. So if we if start in verse 1, and we see here, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day. And as we look at just a little bit of background, it's important to understand this fourth year. Uh, Jehoiakim. This was probably about 605, 606 B.C. Um, and um, here we have Jehoiakim. He succeeded his brother. His brother was king of Judah before, Je um, Jehoaz. And they were under the reign of Pharaoh Necho down in Egypt. And so they actually were subservient to Egypt. And so he, um, Pharaoh Necho was the one who gave Jehoiakim his name because it was Eliakim. It's kind of hard because in the Bible, a lot of people change their names. It's not because they're under you know, the, um, the witness protection plan, but it's just because oftentimes the names reflected the region they were from. And so sometimes the ethnic names. An example would be, obviously, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azrael. Their names were changed. And what were their names? Right. And so you understand. So there's different names. And even different ones, Saul and Paul, and uh, the names. And so the name was changed here under um, Pharaoh Necho. And <clears throat> what we see here is that uh, the context is... There's this other king, Nebuchadnezzar, if you've heard of him and Daniel, and he is the king of Babylon. And he's starting to march his way down from the, northern king, from the north, and he's, getting, and he's coming toward uh, Syria and Israel. And then Israel, at this time, Israel is divided into two areas. Israel, the capital being Samaria, and then Judah, which is the capital of um, being Jerusalem. And so we're in the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And so that's kind of the context here, and as we look at that. And the Syrian armies are, um, Nebuchadnezzar had defeated those Syrian armies, if you think about Assyria, and names like Tiglath-Pileser, if you've ever read your Bible and seen that. I knew someone who had a cat named Tiglath-Pileser, quite a, quite a mouthful. But to understand some of those, those names. But here, Jeremiah was the prophet. And Jeremiah has the, the role and the responsibility to tell these individuals, hey, guess what? God is going to bring judgment upon you. And the word of God came to him. And the first thing we, we understand and we need to understand about God's word is that God's word is commanded to be read. And I think we see here in the text. It says the word came to Jeremiah not only for his benefit, but for the nation of Israel for a specific purpose at a time. And it was written to provide insight, just as it was for today. We have to remember 
When we read the Bible, it was written for us, but it wasn't written directly to us in a secondary way. And let me explain that. It went through prophets, and there is a context. And as we read the historical context, it helps us understand how to apply it for our lives today. Now, we don't live with kings. We don't live in a monarchy. We don't live um, in the same era. But there's much that applies to us, and it was written for us, and it's directed and applies to our lives. And it's important for us to understand that as we take the principles to read it in its context and apply it to our own lives. And to understand here that God's word is commanded to be read, and it provides insight to us and to those who read it. It may be that the house of Judah may hear states the potential, not limiting God's knowledge of the situation. And that's an important part, because sometimes people read this and say, well, did God know what was going to take place? He did. But Jeremiah and the people didn't know if the nation would turn around. And God gives them that opportunity. And so what we see is implied in the text that it does not negate the importance of why, gave, why God gave the Bible to us. But there's value, instruction, prevention, and even a promise, promises found in the word of God. So as we read God's word and it's commanded to be read, as we see even specifically, you know, God tells Jeremiah to write this down. <coughs> and it is to be read in the hearing of the people. And obviously it says the word of the Lord came, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And that is a statement of inspiration and not just, oh, inspired to get a good idea. It's the authority to understand this is God's word. They use words like, quote, unquote, in the old King James, thus saith the Lord, right? And we understand that this isn't thus saith, you know, so-and-so, um, but it was thus saith the Lord and not the Jeremiah prophet. But these were God's word given to these individuals. And he's commanded to write these down. And he gives, it gives people an opportunity to turn from their evil way and gives the promise of forgiveness from sin and guilt. And that is an important part to understand because as we see here, it doesn't limit God's future foreknowledge, but it is limiting the knowledge that is shared with Jeremiah because Jeremiah, uh, even later, gives that as a, um, when he talks to Baruch, um, he isn't sure maybe they will turn because God is always willing and patient and ready to forgive. Unlike us, I mean, we often picture ourselves in God's place, judgment or wrath. You know, imagine that. Um, I don't know if you're a Calvin and Hobbes fan, but sometimes uh, there are Calvin dreams like uh, he is in this little, puts all these little characters into a sandbox and like, ha, and then like can stomp and destroy things and humanly speaking we would build our own cities and then crush them like a bug and all our enemies but because we're not righteous we're not ones who are good at judgment do you remember absolute um, power corrupts absolutely and if if we were to be given any type of power you know it would be people would be in trouble a classic example of that is siblings how many of you are the oldest sibling? Yes. And if you think about all the younger siblings, okay, how many of you have young, you know, your younger siblings? You know, did you ever play some games with, uh, oh, yeah, let's see what we can do to them, or, you know, say uncle, or make them eat things that they don't want to. So there's a lot of things. So we understand that, uh, that position. And, and my point is, in saying that, is as we look at that, the forgiveness of guilt, the burden is placed here, 
that God gives upon these individuals, the nation of Israel, these nations to forgive and repent. God doesn't change. He is there and willing and able and ready for them to repent. Now, if we were in that position, we'd say, no way, too bad. You've wronged me too much. You're getting it. You're going to suffer. But yet God is one who is willing and ready to forgive. And it helps us because while we are all sinners, there are certain degrees people we look at as being different degrees of sin. And some of us think that there's a sin that God can't forgive. But God can and is willing to forgive every sin. And so that's why as we read God's word, people understand what is taking place. They understand um, the burden that's placed upon the people to respond. But secondly, God's word compels our obedience. God's word compels our obedience. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that word, oftentimes as we think of that, is not hidden in our hearts like you can't find it, but it means treasured or valued. And uh, it means that they elicit a proper response from the reader. So when this was to be read, there was going to be a response. And God's word, as it is even said, statement. God gives this command, um, here's the words, and then to obey and to read this before the people. And even Jeremiah and Baruch understood that. But obviously the people didn't obey beforehand. And as we look throughout the Old Testament, one of the things we must understand is the covenant. Israel was God's covenant people. So there was a promise that was given to the people. But oftentimes the people didn't obey. And humanly speaking, we're not very good at obeying. Um, and uh, some people say, oh, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil didn't make us do it. We have enough sin in our own lives to, to do it on our own. Because we're usually willful. We like to do things. We like to disobey. I mean, how many of you like to disobey? Oh, so you're, some of you are honest. But there's certain things. Okay, how many like to drive faster than the speed limit? You know, that's just a suggestion, all right? You know, you know there's certain things. So, I mean, be honest. If sin weren't so much fun, we wouldn't want to do it. But the problem is it is there. But especially contrary to God's word, there is joy in learning to do that. And that's why the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome that. But to, the God's word compels our obedience. And what it means is as we read it, we understand that we need to obey the statutes, the laws. But there's also, there's, as we'll look at, benefit to that. But it compels us to obey and it desires that we obey. Because this is not a suggestion, it's a command. And even as we look at the authority, thus saith the Lord, it is important that we understand that. And Jeremiah dictates the word of God to Baruch. Baruch, you got to say it with a chach. Baruch in, chap, in verse 4, it says, Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and sounds like I'm cleaning my, out my throat, but Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. See, Jeremiah dictated this to um, Baruch, and he wrote it down. He was the secretary, or in the New Testament, we call this amanuensis, and it's simply like a scribe or someone who writes down the different words. He didn't, he didn't add things, but he just wrote down what was words. Paul used it. Um, Peter used amanuensis. It was just simply someone who wrote down the words. Maybe they had legible handwriting. You know, we don't know. Um, some people don't have very good handwriting. I have terrible handwriting. But the whole point is it doesn't change the fact that it was God's word. And so 
what happens is they wrote it down. If you think about Peter, Peter used Tertius, um, Tertius who was um, of Iconium from the book of Romans. In Romans 16.22, it says, I, Tertius, write this to you. And it, it, it's still the word of God. It's just he was the one who wrote it physically. It does not lessen the authority or the value of what is written. If you think about it, as the book, we can read it in a Bible. You can read it on your phone. Does it make it less the word of God or on a scroll? Anywhere we see it, it's still the word of God. So it's important to understand that. I remember when digital was coming out, people with their iPad, and you know, there are people like, oh, I can't believe they're using an iPad or electronic device. You know, that's terrible. You can have the Bible. Now, there's benefits to it, but there's negatives too as well. You know, you can go through, find passages. Some people like to have it in their hands. You know, some people are uh, like books. You know, I like books, be able to go through and have it. But either way, digital as well. I, I like to read the plans on my phone. But the whole point is, it is the word of God. And we meditate on it and read it. And there's benefit to it. And it compels us to obey it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So as we see here, going through, they are reading the word of God, and it goes down and it says, as we mentioned, there's this fast that pro is proclaimed. And that fast that was proclaimed by the King Jehoiakim was probably because they saw Jeho um, Nebuchadnezzar coming down and the, they're concerned and worried. And so now there's a national fast and everyone is concerned. And so then Baruch goes out and reads this. In verse 10, it says, read from the book, the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of uh, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan the scribe in the upper court of the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house in the hearing of all the people. So people heard it and he read it. The third thing we look at is that God's word provides benefits to its readers. You know, there is benefit when we read the word of God, when we hear it. There's benefit to us. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch to read the word of God in the temple to all the people. So you have to remember that God is a righteous God. So he has an agreement, and he has to fulfill that agreement whether we like it or not. And with the nation of Israel, he said, if you do this, I will do that. We call this a conditional agreement. We enter into them all the time. If you have a driver's license, you entered into a conditional agreement. If you um, have a job, you entered into a conditional agreement. If you're in school, you entered in, whether you like it or not, in a conditional agreement that you're going to pass or go through and complete your exams, otherwise your parents are going to hurt you, right? Um, or conditional agreements such as uh, that we go into if you buy a, a home, if you buy a vehicle. You have to pay it, otherwise you can't keep it. I know that sometimes the government wants to say that we, those aren't agreements, that everything's free, but that's not true. Real life is you have to pay for things. But this conditional agreement that is between God and his people is that, you know, if you are faithful, if you obey the word, you will be blessed. Not that hard, but all these nations come in and things are so attractive and, and people turn from God. And God still gives a promise that you can forget, you can repent, you can turn. And God's word provides a um, benefit because even in God's anger and fury, which is justified towards people, even though the nation of Israel had rejected God, God was still abiding by this covenant to be faithful to them if they turned. And so Jeremiah, or actually hold your spot and go, go back a few verses. Jeremiah 29, 11. 
Oftentimes people use this to a present day, but it was given to, to the nation of Israel here. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. There's promise in there because what happens is there is righteous judgment, consequences for the actions, but God says, I am always here, ready, willing, and able to forgive and loving. The, the hard part about that benefit is that we don't see that today. We think that God is just a, a punishing. And we don't see that in humans because forgiveness is very hard, humanly speaking, because we remember. We have a, a mind. And it's hard to separate the emotional from the volitional will of doing something when we know it's, it's, it goes against our nature. When someone has wronged you, when someone has done something that has hurt you, that left scars, our nature is not to forgive. It takes a supernatural act of God to be able to help us to overcome that. But it can occur. And that's where it explains here there are benefits. And as we hear the word of God, as we learn about who God is, remember how we have wronged God. And we still continue to wrong God, but he forgives us and loves us and cares for us and helps us to understand that. And here, as we read, it says, if we continue on to turn from the, a wicked way, ready to forgive, his word is true. In verses 9 through 14, we have in the temple this individual Micaiah, one of the princes, hears the word of God and then shares it with other princes. And in verse 11, it says, Then Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the book. Then he went down to the king's house into the scribe's chamber, and there all the princes were sitting. Elishama, the scribe, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared to, all, to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. Therefore, all the princes sent to Jehudi, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And he said to them, he, and they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. So one person goes and tells the other princes, and they say, we want to hear it again. Is this truly what has been stated? Well, what we see here next is the fact that God's word induces belief. God's word induces belief. See, what that means is the fear of the Lord or of faith. Literally, we're going to see in this text that they had the fear of the Lord on them, in their eyes. They understood what these words meant. And faith is literally believing that God will do what he promised. See, there are many benefits to reading the Bible, but also 
God's word induces a belief in us to understand what is true and that God will do what he said he did. As we look here, and it says that one is that it gives, as we read the word of God, it helps people to understand, first of all, that it is true. But also it confirms and clarifies our belief. Maybe you've never read through the Bible, but most oftentimes we read through the Bible and we think, man, I don't understand it. But because naturally the book is divided, not necessarily to be read from Genesis to Revelation. You can do that, and we, we kind of do that, but it's awful confusing. Uh, it would be interesting, it would be easier to take it by books or to take it as more of in sections because it's obviously a book, um, there are different books in there. But to read it even chronological, those that put that order kind of is helpful because then it takes different passages that are together chronologically. That's what we want. If you've ever had a chronological Bible, it's interesting to read it that way. But as we take the Word of God and read it and to study it out, especially the New Testament because we believe that it applies a little more to us and we understand that. But as we read it, we read it over and over again. Sometimes as you read it, you begin to understand, oh, now I understand. Maybe as you think about early on reading about um, Barnabas. If you know the story of Barnabas and, and Paul, and they separate, and you think, well, they were separated. Why do they read that? Why? But then you study it and look at the text, and you understand later in Colossians how the fact that Barnabas and Paul, uh, or excuse me, Barnabas um, separated from Paul because John Mark, he was related to John Mark. And then it's like, oh, you learn and can understand that. And as we read. But the whole point is it, it, as we read it, induces a belief because we, we see that it's reliable and trustworthy. In verse 13 through 20, or let me read on from verse 16, it says, Now it happened when they had heard all the words that they looked in fear from one another and said to Baruch, We will surely tell the king all of all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us how. How did you write all these words at his instruction? So Baruch answered them, he proclaimed with his mouth all the words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then the princess said to Baruch, go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. And then they went to the king into the court. But they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishamah the, the scribe and told all the words in the hearing of the king. Uh, if you go to the next slide there... Um, understanding it is recognizable as God's word, but it also influences our actions. God's word influences our actions because it induces belief. Something you believe in, you're going to talk about, you're going to support. How many of you have ever sold something? Oh, come on, some of you were in school, maybe you had to sell cookies or, yes. So I, 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 um, when I was coming out of college, I signed up for this thing. Oh, you can make $1,000 a week. Oh, that's great. You get there, you don't know what it is, and then all of a sudden it's Cutco knives. I'm not a salesman. I don't like to sell things, but Cutco knives, I did it for a little while. They sold themselves. They're a good product, but I'm not going to give that kick. But um, the whole point is, is this, if it wasn't a good product, you're not going to sell something. Kind of like the, the car salesman, you know? And you think, oh, you know, come down and buy this car, you know, and they use all these gimmicks to get you to buy the car. You know, you know, this was owned by a little old lady who, you know, hardly drove it and it's uh, safe and it's fine car, right? You get all, all the stories. But salesmen, the problem is that 
you know, they'll just sell it because they're trying to get a sale. But if we believe or have a conviction about something, then it becomes true and we take ownership of it. And it influences and affects what we say about it, what we believe about it, even how we act. So when we believe that God's word is true, we understand that it, it influences our actions. And here, these princes, these princes understood that, guess what? God is going, was going to provide, bring consequences, punishment, if they didn't repent. And so by natural course, they went to the king who could share with the people and say, hey, this is what we ought to do. We ought to turn. And in the, in the book of Kings and Chronicles, we have records of, the, of putting on sackcloth and preparing fasts and just turning as a nation to God. We see the nation, the Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. Remember Jonah, who was angry because, oh, you're a gracious God, and look what you, you allowed these evil people. Nineveh, these, these ones who destroyed and, and uh, the nation of Israel. But yet God allowed them to turn. And so here we have these princes who come before uh, Jehoiakim, and they bring their belief that this is true, the word of God is true. And they had sought confirmation from Baruch. And it's important because it's not wrong to doubt or question the word of God. Sometimes we think, oh, you have to believe it unyieldingly. There's hard things in the Bible, and there's some things that we don't understand. But I believe that there is truth, and it is. Even though there's, there are things that we don't always understand, it doesn't negate the validity of it. An example would be the Trinity. Um, there are other concepts that we don't completely understand, but it doesn't negate the truthfulness or validity of that. And sometimes as we search the Word of God and go throughout and understand it, we're by nature an inquisitive question. I like to look at the text and ask all these different questions about it. And some things there aren't answers for, but some things there are, and we have to search for it. Some of it we, we aren't ready to believe. But the whole point is it's, these individuals, these princes, looked in fear from one to another. They recognized the words as being from the Lord. And so, therefore, they tell Jeremiah and Baruch, go and hide, because we understand you're, gonna, you're going to be punished based upon uh, what we think will be the response of the king. And they even tried to preserve the scroll by telling um, the words to the king. And we see in verse 25 and 26, if you look in verse 25 and 26, it says, Nevertheless, Elnathan, Delaiah, Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jerahamil, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, uh, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Understanding, they, they, they recognized what would happen to these individuals. But they believed and went and shared. And I believe it's important for us to understand as we read the Word of God to understand the truth that it gives to us. But it also helps us to have purpose, to help us to understand that it's just not our ideas. We take convictions. There are, there's a difference between pre preferences and convictions. You know, I don't wear a suit and tie. Sometimes I'll wear um, a coat in the, um, in the winter when it gets cold. Some people think cold in Arizona. All the people say, oh, it never gets cold in Arizona, does it? Well, sometimes it is a little cooler. But the whole point is, God doesn't necessarily, as we think about church and the practice of church, it's, it's about our heart. And that is where it starts. I think it's an important part of our heart. And it'll be reflected by our outside. But to understand that it's not about um, us wearing ties, it's not about 
even worship styles. As we think about Israel and Jewish music, very different. But what I do believe, it is important that we follow and obey after God. And what we, and while our preferences may be different globally, because there are those who are going to worship very different in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in South America. But yet, when we believe doctrinally what the Word of God says about who He is, about the church, about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, about sin. You know, we can still preach about sin. There are churches who don't. But guess what? Sin is bad. It's wrong. Things that don't conform to who God is. But yet there's also forgiveness. There's also joy and hope. And so as we understand, it provokes us to live and influences our action. But did you know that word, God's word also provokes unbelief? It provokes unbelief. And that's what happens to the king. As we, as we move along, it says in verse uh, 20 and 24, Jeremiah 20, 24, as it, as it states and says, sorry, and they went to the king, but, and, but they store, stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king, and in the hearing of all the princes who stood before the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning in the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the earth. hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. As we think about what occurred here, it provokes unbelief. It evoked an angry defiance. So, so go ahead to the next slide. Understanding and blasphemy, because they didn't believe that it was uh, God was going to fulfill what he had written. And many who hear the word of God will not believe it, nor the God behind it. And others may believe in God, but they do not fear the consequences of the word. There are those who say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe um, in life after death. But it doesn't change the consequences of the words. See, King Jehoiakim was the son of a king named Josiah. And Josiah was known as being a young king. He became king when he was eight. Imagine that. Talk about being born with a silver spoon in your mouth. But he was one who is known as being faithful to God. In 2 Kings 23-25, it talks about him finding um, the scrolls and reading and instituting proper worship and proclaiming a national um, day of turning back to the Lord. But Jehoiakim is not a follower of the true God. And the reaction of the king was to literally cut it and to um, burn it, destroy it. And we see in the heart the elements that he was not contrite or repentant. And the scroll foretold of the king of Babylon who would come. And what happens is he would come and conquer and then destroy the land as punishment upon the nation. And the king reads this or hears it and he literally cuts at it and destroys it. You ever been so angry that you just, you know, destroy it? You know, the classic example is maybe you get a letter or something and, you know, destroy it, throw it in the fire. You don't want to anything else. You don't want any news of it. Well, this is the king, Jehoiakim, and he was angry. But he was, really, it, it revealed his heart that he was unrepentant toward 
the one true God as well. And the challenge is that here he reads it and is angry with it, but it doesn't change the consequences of what God has planned for the future. Because the king would receive specific consequences for his actions. If you think about the consequences for his actions in chapter 36, it goes on and says, even in verse, uh, let's see, I think it's 29. Thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written it in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of day and the frost of night. I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and on the men of Judah all the doom that I pronounce against them, but they did not heed. You know, that's the hard part, is that um, when we just allow anger and unbelief to consume us. You know, and even if you're, um, I think about even in other parts of our lives, maybe you're sports fans. You ever see all these fights? People take things so personally. They get into sports and rivalries, um, you know, obviously f football season and college football season, I don't know, I think a, um, big rivalries. Where I grew up, it was Syracuse and Georgetown, but one of the biggest ones, I moved to Ohio, and it's Ohio State and Michigan, right? You know, think about rivalries, but they take it all on. I mean, I, there's a story of a, um, Ohio State, um, he was a truck driver, and he would drive down the road, and what he would like to do is scare anyone who was wearing Michigan gear because obviously that's the rivalry. So he'd be taking a truck driving down the road and get right close, pull the horn, you know, and they go like diving off into the, into the um, side, into the ditch. You know, he'd laugh you know, and he would do that. Well, as he was driving along, he picks up um, a hitchhiker and sees that it's actually a priest from the town. And so he, he's like, I need a good deed for the day. So he picks up the priest and um, says, where are you heading? He goes, oh, just down to St. Catherine's a couple miles down. You know, I'll give you a ride or a couple down there. So he picks him up and they're driving down. Well, as they're driving down by the road, they see this guy with a, a big Michigan M, golden M, you know, blue shirt on it and blue. He's like, oh, man. So he goes over there, pulls over, gets really close, and he drives here, and then here's a thump. You know, it's like, oh, no. He pulls back on, and, and then he realizes, oh, I forgot. The, the priest is in the vehicle in this truck as well. He goes, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, he looks back and didn't see that he had hit anything. And so he's going on and says, sorry about that. You know, I didn't mean to get so close to that um, Michigan fan, you know, I'm an Ohio State fan, and, you know, I'm um, sorry to do that. And so, looks back, I think he's okay. You know, I didn't hit him. And then the uh, priest goes, well, don't worry, I got him with the door. So, anyway, but that's how rivalries occur, right? But to understand, the whole point is that um, we have to be careful of how much we take it upon that, because people take those um, fanaticisms in what they, their preferences and what they like into behavior that really goes contrary to um, good conduct, especially when it comes to the word of God. So we need to be careful of that. And here, the anger that is provoked, that comes about, and people are going to get angry not only at God's word, but at people who believe God's word. They're going to get angry at you. And the king would receive the specific consequences for his actions, but you, we cannot change the positions of those who read or hear the word, or reject it. Because ultimately, we're, we're accountable to our own actions. 
And so that's why we must understand the value of reading God's word and seek to read it and listen to it on a daily basis because I believe that God's word will change our lives. That's where the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit allows us to behave in such a way that we didn't before. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible can cause you to become a, um, a Michigan fan if you're an Ohio State fan. I'm not saying that. But my point is that in the conduct, it will help us to behave in a way which is honoring to him. And just in closing, as we, as we look at this, I want you to understand is that a regular pattern of devotions can help us to make our time of reading and learning the Bible profitable. If you don't have a regular time or, or reading, you know, there are those who kind of put the conviction on you, you need to read it every day. But you know what, sometimes things happen, you miss things. It's not like you have to read it every day. But there is good practice because it develops habit. Read it, there's plans digital. You can read it where you're at. You can read it, um, I used to read it in Spanish sometimes to help keep my mind. But then sometimes I would miss some of the words because of the tr translation. It's like, I have no idea what that word is. Look it up. But look words up and follow through it. But the regular pattern of devotions will help make your time of reading and learning the Bible profitable. And then just finish with this. How much of a priority do you place upon reading God's word? Because I think that will reflect where we're at spiritually as well. Shall we pray?